Well, folks, another week August the mission Arish and Shockton Shaw August and me Nua Shaw Foster. Just uh, picking up the news as this podcast uh, has been recorded that Jeffrey Donaldson has received the report from the panel that he uh, established. And uh, that, that panel includes Peter Robinson and Arlene Foster and some business and legal people. And it was put up or put together by uh, Jeffrey to advise on the DUP's approach to the Windsor framework. And, and some people are interpreting this as him, that is Jeffrey buying time until the other side of the local government elections on May the 18th. And others believe that the panel will provide him with the fig leaf he needs to buy into the protocol, to accept the Windsor framework, or indeed just to accept it as a fait accompli without necessarily uh, agreeing to it. But anyway, going back into the assembly before the May elections. So, Truth to tell, I don't know what he's going to do. But I presume now that he has received the report that he will call together his officer board and they will take their decision and we will know about that quite soon. So, you know, there, there's many, many, many comments made by commentators that the perpetual political crisis in the North is the fault of unionism. But the truth is that it's really the responsibility of British governments and British policy. And if you go back as far as you want in Anglo-Irish relations and the awfulness of the English government's involvement in Irish affairs, you'll find that British or English national interests always trump Irish national interests and the rights and interests of those who live in this island of Ireland, whether they're unionist, nationalist, republican, or none of these. And the unionists should start to learn that lesson. In the past seven years since the 2016 Brexit referendum, there have been five British Tory Prime Ministers. After Cameron resigned, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak have all used political unionism and primarily the DUP in their personal internal party political battles for dominance. And promises have been made and promises have been broken again and again and again. And at the same time, Sinn Féin is now the largest party in the North and Michelle O'Neill is the First Minister-designate. And the Unionist parties are now a minority within the Assembly and within the Irish MPs who have been elected to Westminster. And that's a remarkable turnaround in a state constructed to prevent this and to provide for a permanent Unionist majority in perpetuity. 
And last week, unionism suffered another blow to its fractured psychic when the Windsor framework was passed by 515 votes to 29 in the British Parliament. Now, they need to catch themselves on because when it comes to it, the British government needs a trade agreement with the European Union and with the United States of America more than it needs the DUP. Yes, when it's a minority government, yes, when it's scrabbling about looking for uh, votes, it'll do we say deals. You know, the, the British Secretary of State, Christopher Heaton-Harris, he's actually a former chair of the European Reform Group, the ERG, and this group gave unwavering backing to the DUP. But last week, Heaton Harris came out strongly in support of the new EU-British government agreement and bluntly said, that deal is done. There is no renegotiating that deal. I will always talk to every single member of the Northern Ireland political parties, but time for negotiations on the Windsor framework is over. Now, why would we believe him? But if uh, he's right and the negotiation is over, we're an eye for unionism and for the rest of us. And for those like me who believe in Irish unity, it means persuading that growing number of citizens prepared to examine options other than the union, that the new Ireland can be a welcoming home for everyone. I mean, we, we don't need to tell the unionists this is their home. They know that. They're as entitled to be here as anybody else. But what we do need to do is to make a better home for everybody who lives here. And in particular, I suppose we have to convince citizens that the protections contained in the Good Friday Agreement can provide comfort for unionism. And these rights and protections, they're for everybody. 25 years ago, they may have been seen mainly as being aimed at alleviating nationalist grievances but equality is for everybody. So too with the Good Friday Agreement, unionist rights in the new All-Ireland State will also be subjected to the Good Friday Agreement protections. The reality is that the past 25 years have seen enormous political, societal and economic change. That change is ongoing and it's going to continue. And our job must be to manage that change in the best interests of all of our people. I'm recording this uh, podcast in New York. By the time I get back, hopefully, Jeffrey will have decided what he's going to do. And I hope he decides that he will join with the rest of us. Now, I, uh, I, I came across a little video and it was recorded many, many minutes ago by a young woman called Rachel Corey. And Rachel was a 23-year-old American activist who was crushed to death by an Israeli bulldozer in March 2003. 
and Rachel was attempting to prevent the Israeli army from destroying the home of a Palestinian family. And I was reminded of this because it was her anniversary last week. And I saw for the first time the video of a speech she made as a 10-year-old to her school friends. And Rachel said, I'm here for other children. I'm here because I care. I'm here because children everywhere are suffering and because 40,000 people die each day from hunger. I'm here because those people are mostly children. We've got to understand that the poor are all around us and we are ignoring them. We've got to understand that these deaths are preventable. We've got to understand that people in the third world countries are us. We are them. My dream is to stop hunger by the year 2000. My dream is to give the poor a chance. My dream is to save the 40,000 people who die each day. My dream can and will come true if we look into the future and see the light that shines there. So that uh, video is available on YouTube. Rachel Corey and other international human rights activists deserve our respect and our solidarity. The apartheid war being waged in Palestinian territories by the Israeli government against the Palestinian people has now reached new heights of violence. In the first three months of this year, there have been more Israeli attacks against Palestinians living in the occupied West Bank than at any time since 2000, when the second and the Fatah began. So think of uh, Rachel Corey and think of the people who are suffering at this time. And Rachel lost her life defending them. And if all of us did a little more than we're doing, then brave folks, like brave young women like Rachel Curry, wouldn't have to lose their lives. Just uh, back to our own affairs, I want to welcome the call by the Irish Labour Party for the Irish government to set up a National Citizens' Assembly to plan for the future. And I want to welcome the SDLP's recent support for Irish unity. Now, I know some have voiced doubts about these uh, calls, but I, I see these developments as good news. So that's why I welcome Colm Eastwood and Ivana's remarks. So we should suspend scepticism. We need to find ways to cooperate in these matters. And whatever differences there are between us all, a consensus on Irish unity and the role of the Irish government is an important and positive step forward. And finally, as part of our guest spot in this uh, podcast this week, we have Padraig Wilson. And uh, Padraig will tell as a leader of the men in the H blocks, what it was uh, like looking back on those days of April 1998 when he was in the blocks. So we'll have a, a few words for Podrick 
Michael York, Carla, Lana Rye. As Easter 1988 approached, there was an air of anticipation on the wings of the hate blocks and another presence. But there was also a level of caution that was based upon past experiences. From the outset of the peace process, Republican prisoners have made it clear publicly that we were not a bargaining tool. Maintaining the support and confidence of the wider Republican base was obviously critical for the development of the peace process. Resolving the issue of prisoners was an important part of that. However, more important would be addressing the core causes of conflict, not tinkering with some of the consequences. After the election of the Labour government in May 1987, delegations of senior Sinn Féin representatives, including members of the Negotiations Committee, were given access to the prisons. On September the 18th, 1987, as the talks that led the Good Friday Agreement commenced, Martin McGuinness led a delegation into the Hates Blocks that morning and the McGabry in the afternoon. In early April 1988, as the talks gathered momentum, I was given a phone number that linked me directly to the room in Castle Buildings where the Sinn Féin negotiating team were based. I was in contact with a number of the team, although most calls were with Jerry Kelly. Security and confidentiality considerations obviously limited our conversations, but I was still able to get a sense of the direction in which things were moving. I was aware that there was a potential impasse in relation to prisoner releases. The Brits under unionist pressure wanted to stretch it out for as long as possible. Loyalists acquiesced. At one stage when I rang in, Sue Ramsey answered the phone. Jerry was out of the room, to and fro between the other players, trying to narrow the gap. Sue told me that it wasn't looking good for us and that we would probably just have to sit it out while they moved on with other important business. There was a brief silence, which was only broken by Sue's laughter as she enjoyed her gotcha moment. During the last call with Jerry, sometime after midnight, he told me that if agreement was reached, then a process of releases would likely commence relatively quickly and be completed within two years. Of course, there were mechanisms to be worked out and processes to be put in place. The media coverage had at times provided us with great entertainment. Press conferences came in thick and fast, walk-ins and walk-outs were staged, large poles were referenced and hands were rested on shoulders. For our part, we began to plan for the future, and the rest, as I say, is history. Shanae. Gordon Margaret, Padraig, Shin Gohan, Moy, Mila Buenas, Kara. And I thought just in the, the spirit of what uh, Padraig said, in July 28, 2000, the last of the Republican POWs were released. The rest, as he says, is history. So no better song to finish this week than the one written by Bobby Sands. Back home in Derry, sung here by the great Christy Moore. I was keeping my hood by me and studying to her for a couple of the but by me a rice Ribawad, so Chiefy May Shibsha and Shin, Tor Ira, Gunyurianta, Libsha, Slan August Banakt. In eighteen oh three, we sailed out to sea. Out from the sweet town of Derry For Australia bound If we didn't all drown The marks of our feathers we carried In the rusty iron chains We cried for our ways Our good women we left in sorrow 
As the mainsails unfurled, a curse as we hurled on the English and thoughts of tomorrow. At the mouth of the foil, bid farewell to the soil, as down below decks we were lying. For Doherty screamed, walking out of a dream, by a vision of bold Robert Dyer. The sun burned cruel as we dished out the gruel. Dan O'Connor was down with a fever. Sixty rebels today bound for Botany Bay. How many will reach their receiver? As her bow fought the swell, her ship danced like a moth in the firelight. White horses rode high as the devil passed by, taking souls to Hades by twilight. Five weeks out to sea, we were now forty-three. We buried our comrades each morning. In our own slime, we were lost in the time, endless night without dawn. Behind me, a rebel I came. I'm still the same. Under cold winds of night, you. 